The scripture reading today is from Genesis chapters 2 and 3. The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then God took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent tricked me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to the man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection.
Let us pray. Gracious God, be with us now as we gather. Help us to know that you see us and you see all of our contradictions. You see all the ways in which we get it and don't get it. You see all the ways in which we are a real mix of your beloved image, beautiful and glorious and eternal and also broken and fragmented. And so we walk into this room from all sorts of different backgrounds and all sorts of different places of belief, but help us to believe that you've called this together, this meeting here, whether we're online or whether we're here in this room, and you have something you want us to, see, to hear, to trust, to surrender to, and so give us grace to do it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. A love story gone awry. That's what one scholar calls Genesis 2 and 3, this very complicated text that was just, just read. I didn't hear a very enthusiastic, thanks be to God, after that was written. Very interesting. I like preaching on those texts where everybody's going, I think, thanks be to God. That was rough. Um, but it is a story. As Brian Zahn has said in one of his poems, it's not, did a snake talk, but what the snake said. Because even though I've never met a talking snake, I've sure had serpentine thoughts crawl through my head. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time on how to approach Genesis. I've done that many times in other sermons. But to use these beginning chapters to tell us everything there is to know about our origins is an adventure in missing the point. Let me just put that out there right at the beginning. But oh, how we have missed the point with this story. In a week when Texas turned into Gilead, I am very reticent to show these quotes that I'm about to pop up here on this screen for fear of inflicting even more trauma on those of you who identify as women. But hopefully there will be some healing in the revealing. So let's take a terrible stroll through church history. Let's start with Clement of Alexandria, around 150 to 215. Every woman should be filled with shame by the thought that she is a woman. Honestly, if some of you get up and walk out during this portion, I will understand, but I promise you we're going to undo some of these things. Tertullian, 160 to 220. Woman is a temple built over a sewer, the gateway of the devil. Woman, you are the devil's doorway. The sentence of God on this sex of yours lives in this age. The guilt must of necessity live too. You're the devil's gateway, the unsealer of that forbidden tree, the first deserter of the divine law. You are she who persuaded him whom the devil was not valiant enough to attack. You destroyed so easily God's image, man. On account of your um, desert, that is death, even the Son of God had to die. And then let's get to Augustine. Maybe things get better. 354 to 430, woman was merely man's helpmate, a function which pertains to her alone. She is not the image of God, but as far as man is concerned, he is by himself the image of God. This is why David Bentley Hart says Augustine was a brilliant philosopher who didn't know Greek and had a terrible, horrible Latin translation as his Bible, but I digress on Augustine. By the way, it's Augustine, it's not Augustine. Augustine is in Florida. Augustine is presumably in heaven. Okay, Thomas Aquinas, 1225. That's a little preacher humor, free. Um, woman was made only to assist with procreation. So you get to assist, kind of like being a host body, but I digress. 
As regards the individual nature, woman is defective and misbegotten for the active force in the male seed tends to, I don't even know what he's saying at this place. I mean, I read this earlier today. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Let's move on to John Knox. Let's go to the Presbyterians. 1513, woman was made for only one reason, to serve and obey man. And there's a lot more I could have chosen from him. And John Calvin, on this account, all women are born that they may acknowledge themselves as inferior in consequence to the superiority of the male sex. Well, that's the Presbyterians. What about the Methodists? John Wesley, 1703 to 91. Wife, be content to be insignificant. <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing because, boy, it's, you have to so you don't cry. See, these kinds of quotes are why we left our former denomination that prohibited women's ordination in 2006. And when that happened, I was told repeatedly that what I was doing was not the traditional position on women in the church. And I would say, friend, the last thing you want is the traditional position on women in the church because it is abysmal. And you know who is blamed for all of this. Eve. Today we began this new sermon series called The 10%, because scholars say 10% of the characters in the Hebrew Scriptures are women. And we're going to listen to some of them this fall, beginning with Eve. Poor Eve. What a beating she has taken, but not from God, from the church, which is to say largely from men in the church. I mean, you heard the awful quotes, and that's just a sampling now, here's how this story is usually told. Adam and Eve are fresh off the assembly line, shiny, new, perfect, first human beings, sort of a superhumans. God plopped them into a primeval clothing optional resort, a paradisical setting where they can eat anything they want except one tree. God tested these flawless creatures with this command not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, just to see if they meant business and would obey God. But Eve had a chat with a talking snake, failed the test, rebelled against God, and lost not only their own perfection, but also that of every other human being born since. That's right. Eve, because she ate some fruit she was told not to, now all of humanity is cursed and this so-called original sin of Eve's became sort of like a sexually transmitted disease. Thanks a lot, Eve. Well played. See, this way of understanding the Adam and Eve story has been a popular for a very long time in Western Christianity, ever since St. Augustine and what havoc it has wreaked. Now, here are some of the messages women have heard from this story that are not actually present in the story itself. And along the way, let's just kind of dispel some of that, I would call it nonsense. Message one, a male creates first, a male God creates first man and last woman. First means superior, last means inferior or subordinate. My answer to that is false. First, using the order of creation to establish superiority will have man subordinate to plants, animals, and everything else God made. Second, God is depicted as both male and female in the creation story. God's spirit hovering over the water is feminine, and that is actually the case repeatedly in the Old Testament. 
And of course, just as God cannot be pinned down to binaries of either male or female, just as God cannot be pinned down to that, nor are the human beings made in God's image pinned down to binaries of male and female as our beloved friends who identify as non-binary teach us. Second message that's heard. Woman is created for the sake of man, a helpmate to cure his loneliness. I would say false. The word helpmate is the more the product of sexist translation committees than the word actually itself. Translating it helpmate instead of the more accurate companion suggests an assistant, a subordinate, indeed an inferior, while the Hebrew word here is ezer and carries no such connotation. In fact, in the Hebrew Scriptures, that very word often is used to describe God as the superior who creates and saves Israel. Message number three. A man names woman and thus has power over her. God faults. God does not give Adam power over the woman. The word woman, Isa, demonstrates further that the issue is not the naming of the female, but the recognition of sexuality. Isa itself is not a name. It's just a common noun not a proper noun. It designates gender. It does not specify person. Message number four that's heard. I'm going through these quickly. Woman tempted man to disobey, and thus she is responsible for sin in the world. She is untrustworthy, gullible, and simple-minded. False. The text simply says this. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. That's it. There's no tempting There's no beguiling. There's no persuading. And Adam, in his confession, does betray Eve, but does not say that she tempted him. There's actually no mention of sin or a fall or Satan or temptation. And I hate to break it to you, there wasn't even an apple involved. Message number five that gets told. Woman is cursed by pain in childbirth. Pain in childbirth is a more severe punishment than man's struggles with the soil. It signifies that woman's sin is greater than man's. False. Neither of them is cursed. The ground is cursed. Consequences are not necessarily punishments. Both have consequences, and both of them have consequences that are rally around a same word, the word toil. Another note of equality, actually, in this text. The choice of translators to render the Hebrew word as pain in verse 16 and toil in verse 17 is unfortunate because they both will have to toil in bringing fruit from the earth. And in addition, the woman will be the mother of all the living, thus the name Eve. She will have to work the soil with her husband and bear children. Message number six that is sometimes heard. Woman's desire for man, in chapter 3, verse 16, as you saw, is God's way of keeping her faithful and submissive to her husband. God gives man the right to rule over women. False. The fact that she still desires her man and his response will be to rule over her is A, the story of human history, And B, the consequence of disobedience, not the design or intention of God. The text says that the husband will rule over her, not that he should rule over her. 
So, so much harm. I'm just a little bit of a flyby on undoing some of the toxic messages that come out of this. So much harm has been done to women in the name of Eve's transgressions. I need a series of sermons, not just one. And like I said, you can see previous sermons I've done on Genesis 1 to 3 that talk about how to read Genesis literarily, not literally, who the original audience was, and, and all those kinds of things. But today we're just going to do this. We're just going to focus, we're just going to focus on Eve and on listening to Eve. How might we listen to Eve in this story? Well, here's a few things she would tell us. And before I say the first thing, let me call this point 1A of what she would say to us. She would say, who do you think you are, Fred Harrell? <laughs> Speaking like you understand the experiences of women. And to that I say, amen. I know that. I hope I faithfully can get close to some of the things Eve could say based on the text. I won't deviate too much from that. But know that it isn't the same as hearing from Eve herself. But nonetheless, I wade into these treacherous waters. So the voice of Eve. Here's what she might say. And I'm going to speak in first person here. I was equal. I was equal. I want you to know today, I was equal. God made us equal. Before I came along, there was no man and woman. Only an earthly creature, Adam, which is a play on the word Adama, which meant earth. You should call Adam, before I came along, a sexually undifferentiated earth creature. And it wasn't until the divine matchmaker realized that it wasn't good for the earth creature to be alone that God created me from the same earthly material he created Adam. God never told me to submit God told me as a result of our youthful disobedience, things would get sideways in our relationship. And it did, but I was equal. Equality is the design. Subordination is the flaw. Secondly, I think Eve would say this. I was young. Please listen to the eastern wing of the church instead of the western wing dominated by Augustine. You have seen how he projected his own self-loathing onto women in the quotes that have already been read. The eastern wing of the church saw the story as not a fall from perfection, but a failure to grow up to godly wisdom and maturity. Look at the command that God gave us. Eat from any tree except the knowledge of good and evil. Why that tree? Why would God do that? What exactly is wrong with knowing the difference between good and evil? Isn't that what every parent wants? for their child. God didn't command this because such knowledge would be wrong. It's not that God doesn't ever want us to know good and evil. That is precisely what God does want for us. But we have to go about it, gaining such knowledge in God's way. And what the serpent said we would become like God, when the serpent said that, that's actually exactly what God wants. For our lives to be more and more like God. Or as you would say today, Christ-like. But God must lead us in God's way in God's time. Obedience to God is a prerequisite for knowing good and evil. And we circumvented it. To quote the book of Proverbs, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
I'm responsible, Eve would be saying, I'm responsible for my own actions. Adam was responsible for his. I didn't tempt anyone. I gave it to him, and he ate it. We were kids. I was trying to grab for wisdom by bypassing God's instruction. Grabbing for a good thing in the wrong way. I heard that serpent cast aspersions about God's character, and it did a number on me. I thought if God is not the lover that I thought he was, that I'm not the beloved, and I don't have the relationship with God I think or thought I had. I was persuaded of a problem I didn't have. I believed the dangerous lie that I was separated from God. You might want to think of it like second century theologian Irenaeus did in, frankly, much of the early church. We were children in the garden, once naked and unashamed. We embarked upon adulthood the moment we gained knowledge of good and evil, albeit way too soon. My original blessing, my original goodness bestowed upon me by God was never lost or broken. My innocence, though, was. But no child could hold on to that forever. Food for thought to counter some of the awful messaging. Third thing I think Eve would say, I was scapegoated. I was scapegoated. She would say, he immediately blamed me for everything. A pattern that I see has continued. I noticed he only spoke of himself, and that's when I thought, "Uh uh-oh, he's going to throw me under the bus. Our unity, our one fleshness had been broken. I heard, I was afraid, I was naked, I hid. Hello, I was right there the entire time. But any talk of we has now turned into talk only of me in his mind. And then it happened. He said it. The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree. But he was standing there the entire time. He heard everything I talked about with the servant and yet said nothing. Neither God nor myself tempted the man, and yet he implicates both of us in his guilt. I didn't blame God like that. I definitely tried to blame the serpent, however. But he was the craftiest, after all. I know that I often get accused for adding to the command by saying that God said we couldn't touch it. But that was my way of doing what rabbis would call building a fence around the law. In other words, you add to it to make it harder to disobey. I don't, if I don't touch it, I won't eat it, was my thinking. And I didn't implicate my companion either. I only spoke about myself. I was tricked and I ate. That's it. End of story. You may wonder if our relationship ever really recovered. I'll let you speculate on that. But as many of you know, I hope relationships can heal. And this fourth one I offer that Eve would be saying to us, I was loved by God in all of this. I was loved by God in all of this. I know God levied some consequences on us. That word toil is used to describe both my consequences and Adam's, another signal that God created us as equals. A lot of ink has been spilled over the years about how this changed everything about our relationship to God. And I would say, well, yes and no. 
Yes, things were different, but that difference was not God deciding to not love us. It's certainly not a declaration that all humanity is inherently bent toward evil from now on. Notice, we didn't go looking for God. God came looking for us, for me. Notice you don't have God saying from heaven at this state, I can't come down there and be with you anymore because you've sinned and I'm too holy after all. But if you'll create a religious system of sacrifice, it'll create a demilitarized zone and I'll be able to come down and be with you in some way. No. God's predisposition of love towards us did not change. God came searching for us. Now, did we experience psychological separation from God, a deep sense of estrangement? Yes. But we were not separated from God. Remember what the psalmist said. And if I make my bed in Sheol, the house of the dead, the place of the dead, you are there. Now, we lost all sense of our inherent blessedness, and we bought the lie of our inherent badness and believed God was out to get us. We were ashamed, and shame always leads to hiding. So as God stood before us, as we were filled with shame, we couldn't bear, we couldn't bear the beams of God's love onto our brokenness. So God did something to make us more comfortable in the presence of divine love. God took animal skins and covered us. God helped us get over our shame, and God is committed to doing the same thing for you. But you have to start with believing that God is still asking the question, where are you? That God is still pursuing you in love. That your presence at this moment online in this room is because God wants you to know that God is continuing to pursue you always in love. Maybe in particular, if you are sitting here right now or watching online and think that and feel that you are filled with shame, God does not run from you. God does not separate God's self from you. God moves towards you. I know that people have used words like we were banished from the garden or expelled or sent away, and those are such harsh words. The fact of the matter is, the same word elsewhere used throughout the Hebrew Scriptures is always when God sends somebody away in peace. And I believe we were as well. We were still the beloved children of God, even as we may not have completely felt it in that moment. Thank you for indulging me to use that first-person narrative approach. It helped me write this a little better, I think. And I hope you can hear the words of Eve in this. I'll finish with this quote from Daniel Schroyer in her book, Original Blessing. You'll see it up on the screen. God created us good and blessed us, and we were given the agency to choose our path in life, which will either keep us near that goodness or move us away from it. 
Our goodness is both an origin and a goal, but the blessing we have been given by God remains constant. From beginning to end, God desires for us to keep near this harmony, this goodness, no matter the cost and no matter our choices. Even when we move away from God, God moves towards us, seeking to close the distance. Genesis 3 is a story of blessing and curses because we live in a world of both. But as people of faith, we also know that curses will not have the last word. And no, it does not. The second Adam will have victory where the first Adam failed. We gather here and we gather online each week to celebrate the resurrection. The resurrection that means death never has the final word. The big problem Jesus came to deal with is death. And the resurrection, and in the resurrection, that death has been dealt a death blow. And everything Jesus taught and did is vindicated. And as we do the work of this community to bring the life of heaven to earth, let us listen to one another. Let this series be a recommitment from everyone to listening, to being present to other people and hearing and listening to their stories. In particular for those like Eve who have been through it so that we may be a community of equity, mutuality, and healing. Let us pray. Gracious God, help us to hear Eve today. Help us to hear her especially saying that she was loved throughout this whole story. And that you love us through our whole story. Give us grace to believe that today we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.